Good morning, good morning. Great to see everybody. Welcome to Gateway Baptist Church. Glad you're able to worship with us this morning. For all of you watching us online, we're so happy you're able to join us. Just got a few reminder announcements from last week before we get started today. Um, This coming Saturday, February 3rd, all the men and boys eight years old and up, there's going to be a day hike um, up there at Lake Martin on the Deadening Alpine Trail. Uh, Many of you have already signed up, but there's still room. Uh, We would love for you to register and be a part of that. You have the deadline this Thursday. All the details and registration on the website at gatewaybaptist.com. So this Saturday, February 3rd, the guys get to do a hike. Also, just as a reminder for teenagers, youth parents, uh, we mentioned it last week, but our Amplify Disciple Now weekend is February 23rd through the 25th. Um, All the information is on the website as well, registration, all those sorts of things, the schedule that we'll get to experience. Really excited about that that our teenagers get to join with the rest of um, a lot of the Southern Baptist churches in Montgomery to have a time together of a weekend of worship and community. We're excited about that. And lastly, today in the sanctuary here at 4.30 is a time of prayer. We do it every other week. So 4.30 p.m. today here in the sanctuary, time of prayer. Invite whoever would like to participate in that. They pray for all sorts of things, intercede for our city, different situations. Many of you are going through our church. Um, but today at 4.30, right here. And just as a reminder, if you've been visiting Gateway for your first time here, we welcome you. Hope you felt welcome as a special guest. And But if you've been here for a few weeks and haven't really got plugged in or connected yet in any way, or if you've been here for a few months and haven't found a way to get connected and share in some community, we just want to encourage you. We have some wonderful Bible studies on Sunday morning over here in the gym building at 9 o'clock. Wednesday night, we're in our new uh, winter mode of a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study, a couple's Bible study. Our kids and our teenagers have time together, and we have some wonderful life groups available. So if you have any questions about any of that, we just want you to get connected, share life together, spend community together. Come talk to me after church. Our website um, has a connect tab that's got all of that information on there. So we just encourage you, we'd love to find opportunities for you to connect deeper in the body. So I just want to encourage you with that. Well, let's stand before the Lord as we prepare our hearts to worship in song. And I just would like to read a few verses over us as we prepare. This is Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. David cries out, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied within with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. Let's worship him this morning.
Jesus, 
Father, it's your breath in our lungs, God. The very reason we can even praise you through song, God, is because at a moment in time, you created the world and you molded man from the dust and you breathed into his life and brought him to life, God. So at the times when we praise you, God, it is your very breath that you gave us to even give us life, God. It is with that breath that we are able to worship you, God. So even without you in the beginning, God, we would not be able to praise you without you, Father. In our own merit, God, without your breath, without your acting, we would not even be able to praise you. So, God, we thank you, Father, for your creation, God, so that we, as we sing earlier, God, that all creatures of our God and King, God, we are created beings created by you. And we are able to praise you, Father, because you are sovereign over your creation, God. You're the sovereign creator. So we can lift our songs to you, God, in praise for all that you have done for us. As we've been looking at Genesis over the past several weeks, God, as I shared this morning with the band, God, just said, as we look with the original sin, God, with Adam, you created a perfect creation, God, and we ruined it. Father, we came in, our sin came with the consequences of your judgment, Father. by nature, God, we were children of wrath at that point, God. But you had a plan to redeem that creation. You had your son, Jesus, that you were going to send to this world, and he was going to be obedient to the cross, God. Living the life that we couldn't, God. Being the true and better Adam, God upholding your law 
and ultimately dying on the cross to redeem us with the blood of the Lamb of Jesus. So we can sing to you, God, it's by the breath in our lungs that you gave us, God, that we're able to worship you in this place this morning. And it's the blood that you shed on our behalf, God, that redeemed us, God, and you're calling us, God, and drawing us to you, Father, and giving us new hearts, God, giving us a heart of flesh, God, not a heart of stone, God. And you give us your spirit to teach us your ways, God, and to grow us in your ways and to convict us when we fall, God, and convict us when we sin, God. And sanctify us to make us look more like you, God. We thank you for that sacrifice. Thank you for your blood that was shed. So let's sing this together. It's your bread. Psalm 111, praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever, he has caused his wondrous works to be remembered, the Lord is gracious and merciful provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. Father, we stand in awe, all of you. You have redeemed us from our bondage of sin and death through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We who were your enemies are now sons and daughters because of your saving grace. We marvel that Jesus Christ so closely identifies with us and loves his church, which is his body. Through him, you have united and equipped us to carry out your purposes, to be a people holy and set apart for the work of ministry, to the building up of the body, the church. But Lord, We are so weak and so frail. We are in daily need of your sustaining grace. We know you don't need us. You don't need our help. Yet we praise you for displaying your power through us, a weak and broken people. 
Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit who strengthens our hearts through the word. This morning we ask again that you would renew us through the proclaimed word, your word which gives life. Father, this morning we're so grateful for the body here and the many working instruments. So many who are doing the work of ministry and we think this morning and pray this morning for the children's ministry for Molly and all the volunteers. Lord, thank you for our children in this church. We see them and we see a new generation of believers. We want to see them follow you, to make the most of you, knowing that, Lord, they're in a world that's constantly pulling at their hearts. Lord, do a work. Pray for the ministry helpers and those who volunteer. I pray, Lord, that you would be faithful to give your truth to these children, that these children, you would awaken them to the beauty and the majesty of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the ministry, the Hope's ministry at Capitol Heights, and for the Bible study on Thursday, and then the tutoring that is going on. And we ask, Lord, that you would again bless that ministry for those individuals who are caring for and meeting the physical needs, but also the spiritual needs of those children. And Lord, we ask that fruit would be born out of that ministry, that many would come to know you and to love you and to worship you. Lord, thank you for all who are volunteering. Thank you for uh, Seth and Megan and their their work in that and for the, the relationships that you've given them. Lord, we just pray that you would continue to glorify yourself through this ministry. Lord, we think of the churches in the area, and we pray for my brother, Pastor Keith Walder. Lord, as he serves there at the table and the ministry that you've given him, I ask God that you continue to bless. Thank you, Lord, for his travels recently down to Mexico and the, the mission work that he's been doing, but also for the brothers and sisters that he's ministering to at the table. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to give him strength and energy. And continue, Lord, to allow him to see much fruit born out of that ministry. Give him, Lord, the grace that he needs to sustain him, and to minister, and to care for the flock that you have given him. Lord, we think of global missions and all that's going on, and so many who are serving in difficult parts of the world. This morning, we, we lift to you Pastor Mark in Haiti as he is right now seeking to plant a church in a remote village. We ask, Lord, that that church plant would take root in that people would hear the gospel and respond they would see their need for a savior or that you would bring them out of darkness into your marvelous light oh, there's so many who are in need of the gospel many in this our own community Lord there's so many in the world and nations and people groups and tribes Would you send people from our own church to the far ends of the world? Father, thank you for how you have blessed us. And as we give back in terms of our offering, we realize that, Lord, none of it belongs to us. We are just a steward. And I pray, Lord, that we would give generously out of the abundance of our heart and that, Lord, you would take what we give and you would multiply it and use it to further your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that Gateway would model sacrifice and then giving not only of our resources but one another Lord we have the privilege this morning 
of hearing your word proclaimed from Pastor Grady. And I pray for him right now, Lord, that you would uphold him, strengthen him, anoint him with your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you give him clarity as he brings your word. And Lord, for your people, we are here to be equipped this morning to do the work of ministry. And as we hear your word proclaimed, help us to focus and to listen. God, I pray that you would reprove us in areas we need reproved, that you would rebuke us in areas we need to be rebuked, and that you would encourage us in the areas that we need to be encouraged. And that, Lord, we would leave here grateful and excited and moved to serve your kingdom kingdom that you've called us to. And I pray that you would do this all for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And first to fourth graders, you're dismissed if you'd like to go to kids worship. First to fourth graders, you're with Miss Megan and Mr. Seth this morning. While the kids are on the move, if you will find Genesis chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word or on your Bible app, Genesis chapter 3. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're in a year-long study of Genesis 1 through 11, looking at foundations of our faith. We're 22 weeks into this, and we're still in Genesis 3, but we're making headway on this. Now, if you think about Genesis 3 this morning, I want to ask you a question that perhaps you've not been asked recently. It may not be something you've thought about recently, but the question for the morning that our text drives us to is, When was the last time that you thought deeply about death? When was the last time you thought deeply about death? Now, I know for a few of you it has been recently. But some of you have lost loved ones in recent months. You've lost friends. You've had your own health scares that make you wonder about the future. But for many, it has been a long time, friends. We are in a culture that goes to great lengths to avoid having to think about or talk about death particularly our own death. It scares us, and so we avoid it. And even if we do try to think about it, we quickly try to move on and not dwell on it. So I want to ask you more specifically this morning, when was the last time you pondered your own inevitable death? When was the last time you pondered your own inevitable death? And you took time to remember that one day you will die, and you took time to think through how that reality shapes how you are living today. Now, I ask you that because the text we come to today confronts us with the reality of each one of our own certain deaths. As we continue our study of Genesis, we've been seeing that God's perfect world has been corrupted by sin. We've seen God's image bearers reject God, choose their own path, and sin against Him. And now we're in the middle of Genesis chapter 3 where God pronounces judgments on their sin, something called the curses. And we've seen how those judgments affect everyone since then, that because Adam is sin and Eve sin, we are all born with an inherited guilt, and we all are born under judgment, and we feel it every day. Now, there's a common theme in all these judgments on sin that we have been seeing week after week after week, and that is life's blessings now become challenging. If you want a theme for the curse on Eve and the generations that followed and the curse on Adam and the generations that followed, what we're going to see this morning is that life's blessings now become challenging. We saw the blessing of having children, 
and now has a challenge of pain. The blessing of raising children comes with much, much emotional pain. The discipling the next generation is a blessing, but it comes with pain. Marriage is a blessing, but it has pain. All of our relationships are blessings, but they now have pain. There's work, but it now comes with pain. There's provision for our families, but it now comes with pain. That The blessings of life have now become challenging. Today we come to the very end of God's judgment on sin in this section of Genesis 3, and we're going to see that once more. So here's the main truth I want you to see before we dig into this text this morning. It's simply this. The blessing of physical life itself now becomes challenging and eventually ends for everyone. The blessing of physical life itself, this God-given gift of our lives, is no longer easy. It is now challenging, and it eventually ends for everyone. Friends, we face the challenges of just trying to live. We all have dealt with sickness. We all deal with decay and the decline of our bodies. That's why our prayer lists are full of friends and family members dealing with all sorts of sicknesses, whether it's cancer or COVID or decline in other ways. We know so many people who are struggling, and we all have our stories of our struggles, of these reminders that our bodies are frail and are falling apart. But in addition to that challenge of just simply trying to live now, now because of sin and judgment and the curse, our earthly life will one day end for every single one of us. And I want you to see this from Genesis chapter 3 this morning. Just one verse this morning, verse 19. We looked at the beginning of verse 19 last week and God's judgment on Adam and the generations that followed. But we're going to pick up with verse 19 and look at the rest of that verse this morning. So as we read our text this morning, I want you to be looking for what is God's ultimate judgment on sin. But I want you to also be thinking, why is it good for us to think about this? Why does God, not only here but throughout Scripture, bring us face to face with our own mortality and our own certain death? Why is it good for you and I to take time to think about how frail we are and how mortal we are? So Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Just one verse this morning, I'm reading out the English Standard Version. We also have the words on the screen for you. Verse 19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful that you give us your word, not just the verses that are happy and make us feel good that we like to run to, but verses that confront us with truths that we need to hear and think about, even if our hearts don't usually want to think about them. So thank you that you love us enough to tell us all that we need to know to understand this world, to understand ourselves, to understand you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. We pray this morning you take your word, you use it to shape us, to form us in the people you desire for us to be. We ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So last week we start with the first part of this verse, the part about by the sweat of your face you'll eat bread. We already explored that one last week of how our work is now cursed. Our work is now challenging. But today I want us to focus on the rest of verse 19. I want us to see this morning that because of sin, because of judgment, because of the curse, The blessing you and I have, a physical life itself, is now challenging and will certainly end for us. Now, friends, this truth is so important to understand. God speaks it in a very unique way here. Now, let me remind you, like we've seen in the last several weeks in these judgments, this is God speaking. This is not a human speaking. This is not Satan speaking, trying to make our lives difficult. This is God himself, a holy God, pronouncing judgment on mankind for sin. But when God speaks this judgment, he does so with some repetition. Now, parents in the room, if you want your kids to understand something, you don't say it one time, right? 
You say it again and again. And so here, God is going to repeat a truth, but he's going to do so in a very unique, poetic way. Now, if you think back to high school literature, this is, he, God's going to speak what's called a chiasm. Now, if you don't remember what a chiasm is, it's where a series of ideas are repeated. You have an idea, A, B, and C, and then you repeat it in reverse order, C, B, and A. So you, revert, you repeat it in reverse order to make a point. It helps people remember something important, and it helps it stick. So I want you to see how verse 19 is structured. So this is verse 19. This is the chiasm of what God speaks here. You see the A, B, C, and then the C, B, A. And notice God is repeating himself in this very poetic, unique way to drive home the significance of what is being said here. You were turned to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, that's the more literal rendering most of ours say, for you are dust, but that's more of how it would read. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So the main idea of this one is the very beginning and end. You see it there in yellow. You return, you shall return. He bookends this truth with the idea that we are all going to return to something one day. And was it returning to that? That's the line B there. We're going to return to the ground or to the dust. Those words are used interchangeably here. It's a picture of our bodies going back into the ground and decaying. It's a, description, a vivid description of, of our death. That to the, you return to the ground, to dust you shall return. But interestingly, there in the middle, in those two lines that are labeled C, God takes us back to our origins. He uses two Hebrew conjunctions here that we translate for, and he's pointing out that our bodies return to what they were first made out of. You return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. This judgment on sin is so important, God repeats it in this chiastic way to make sure we understand the truth that is here. Now let's start with the middle of it, line C, that kind of middle part, and then let's work back out to understand this. God reminds us that we are made from the ground, that, from, that we are literally dust. Now this is a truth we saw go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. In Genesis 2, 7, I think we'll have that one up on the screen for you. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. So here, this exact same words here that are now being repeated in chapter 3, that God made man from the dust of the ground. Now, there's a linkage here between man and the ground that is beautiful in the way it's written. The word man in Hebrew is the word Adam, hence the Adam letter later becomes known as Adam. The word ground in the Hebrew language is Adamah. So Adam was made from Adamah. So there's a connection here. In other words, our core composition is dust or ground. That at the core, our basic materials of our body is the same as the rest of the world and the rest of the universe. Friends, in fact, if you talk to the scientists, you have in your body 7 billion, billion, billion atoms. Okay, if kids, if you're trying to write that down, that's 7 with 27 zeros after it. That's how many atoms you have in your body. Did you know that 99% of those in your body are just six? 99% of your body are just six elements. Oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. So you are 99% oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. And when God in his providence puts you together, he lets a lot of those hydrogens and a lot of those oxygens come together to make water in you. And 62% of your, 62 of your body is water. You're made of the same matter found throughout the rest of the universe. The Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground. So out of it, out of the carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, you were taken for hydrogen, nitrogen, carbon, all these things you are. For 62% water, you are. So if our core makeup is the same as the rest of the universe, what sets us apart? There it is in Genesis 2, 7, the latter part of the verse. The Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
and the man became a living creature. God took ordinary materials, but lovingly fashioned them together to make people as his image bearer, and God gave to them the blessing of life to become living beings. But now because of sin, because of judgment, because of the curses, that breath of life slowly wanes in us, and it will be taken away one day. Go back to verse 19. That is the very emphasis of this text back in 319. By the sweat of your face you sweet bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Again, the emphasis here is the, the beginning and end. Till you return, you shall return. This picture that we will cease to be a living physical being, that our eternal souls will leave our body. And what is left when our souls leave our body in that day? A not alive collection of seven billion, billion, billion atoms that begin to break apart and return to the dust. Friends, this is a picture of a terrible reversal. This is a terrible reversal when that living breath of life is removed from us and those atoms just all begin to fall apart. This is a sobering picture for us because there's a definite certainty to it. Notice again at the very end of verse 19, this word shall, you shall return. There's a certainty about this. That means there's no amount of medical care that can stop this from happening. Everyone will inevitably die. There's no amount of plastic surgery we could have done to try to mask the aging. We will inevitably die. Even the attempts for people to cryogenically freeze themselves with the hopes of undoing death, they're not going to be able to because it's inevitable. We will die. There's 8.1 billion people on earth today, and it can be said of every single one of those 8.1 billion to dust you shall return. There's a certainty about it because God said it would happen and God keeps his word. Genesis 2.17 is when God warned what would happen. And go back to Genesis 2.17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Notice the emphasis there. You shall and you surely will die. God has said what is going to happen. And God is a faithful God who does what he says. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. You get a glimpse of this. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness, not iniquity, just and upright is he. When God speaks, God follows through what he says he will do. That means there's nothing Adam can do to stop it. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39, just a few verses later. God says, see now that I, even I am he, and there's no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. This reality of verse 19 doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, death is coming. It doesn't matter if you're powerful or weak, death is coming. It doesn't matter if you're educated or not with the best health care or not. Even if all the world leaders got together to say, we're going to find a way to stop death, they can't. It's inevitable because God who is faithful has spoken. This is what will happen. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 20 is a great description. All go to one place, all are from the dust into dust. I'll return. It doesn't matter how great our health care is. It doesn't matter our education level or our riches or poverty. Everyone's going to end up in the ground to dust. We all will return. Even as believers, there's nothing we can do to prevent that day from coming. There's no amount of repentance we can practice, no amount of good works we can do to the Lord that will cause God to be like, okay, yeah, I'm not, I'll let that person live forever. It's inevitable for us as well. I want you to notice something here in our text today. Adam is not told when that day is coming or how that day is coming. That was not for him to know. It is not for us to know either. It could be sudden. It could be slow. It can be painless. It can be painful. It can be soon. It can be a long way out. We don't know. That's in the timing of a sovereign God who has numbered 
our days. But what God said would happen did happen for Adam. Genesis chapter 5, verse 5, you see that day come for Adam. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. I can't even begin to fathom that. But he lived 930 years and then he died. But that same reality came for his children. Genesis chapter 5, verse 8, just to, you see this a few verses later, his son Seth. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years. And here's this phrase that's repeated over and over in the genealogy of the Scripture. And he died. This came to Adam's grandchildren as well. Genesis chapter 5, verse 11. That's all the days of Enosh, Adam's grandson. They were 905 years, and he died. Over and throughout Scripture, every person is followed with, and he died, and he died, and he died. And it will be said to each one of us as well. We are all marching towards that day, and with each passing year, our bodies are aware of it more and more. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is, notice this, it is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And we see that in little ways with each passing years. You see me now more and more taking my glasses off to read. My eyesight is wasting away in the late 40s here. You see it in different ways in your own life with different struggles, with health issues, that our bodies are wasting away. And we try to steward our bodies well, but there's nothing that we can do to stop the wasting away. This is now the reality of life in a cursed and fallen world. The blessing of physical life itself is now challenging and will eventually end for everyone. That raises two questions for us this morning. Number one, why does this happen? Why in the world do we have bodies that decay and, and that will die? Because before this point in Scripture, there was no death. The animals, the people, everything was made to live forever. God designed our human bodies in such a way that they're supposed to heal when they get sick. They're supposed to be able to be sustained. We have bodies that, if you look at the way they're made, should be able to live eternally. Why do we die? Why does Adam now face death? Why does that now become the norm for every person? And we're told back there, in, so we're verse 19. Why is verse 19 the normal? We're told in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Go back to Romans 5, 12 here for us. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. God tells us why this is the new norm, because Adam sinned. The consequence of sin is death. We are born with his guilt, so we are born on that path to death. We then add more sin to that guilt we already have and that sin nature we already have. And so we, like Adam, must die. Sin came in the world through one man, so everything changed when Adam and Eve sinned. In a perfect world with no death, now is a world filled with death where that is now the norm for every single human being. Romans chapter 6, 23 gives us even greater clarity to why we die for the wages of sin is death. The payment that we deserve when a holy God looks at our sin, our rebellion against him, what we all deserve is now death. And so why does this happen? Because death is the ultimate judgment on sin. The death is the ultimate judgment on sin. Everyone has sinned, therefore everyone will die. Every death is a reminder of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humanity. And so here, if you go back to verse 19, we are at the end of the judgments, the last judgment being mentioned here in this section, and it's the most serious of all the judgments, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Death is the ultimate judgment on sin. This is what God has willed to happen to his rebellious creatures, that the blessing of physical life is now challenging and will eventually end for everyone. That leads to our second question. Why should we think about it, friends? Why should we think about this thing? Because as I mentioned earlier, when was the last time you and I stopped to ponder death? Why would we take a whole Sunday to 
look at this. It's not a happy thought to leave us feeling good on our way home here. But the reality is, as crazy as it may sound, pondering our inevitable death is really good for us. Pondering our inevitable death, pondering our mortality, pondering our frailty is really, really good for us. That's why God gives us verses like these and others that we'll see. That's why we study the whole counsel of God's word, because we want to see all that God has revealed, not just the parts that we like. Pondering our death, own death is good for us. Many of you know I love Paul Tripp. He's a biblical counselor. And he said something that caught my attention this week as I was thinking on this. He says, death is dreadful, but it can be a gift and a teacher. Death is dreadful, but it can be a gift and a teacher. And that's exactly why God gives us realities like this to ponder and think about. Death is dreadful. Death is awful. We need to mourn it. But there's good that can come as we think about the reality of it. It is a gift and a teacher. I want to suggest three ways this morning that thinking about our inevitable death is good for us. Three ways why we need to take time to ponder how mortal and frail we really are. Number one, it humbles us. Number one, it humbles us. Friends, it reminds us that we are not God. We mentioned it in recent weeks, but think back. When Adam and Eve first sinned, what were they wanting? They were wanting to be like God. They wanted to have what God had. They didn't want to be under God. They wanted to be like God. And so part of the curse on them is that reminder that they will never become God. Every challenge, every pain, every sickness we deal with in our health reminds us that we are not the eternal one, that we are not the one who is perfect. We are weak and frail. Psalm 102 reminds us how different God is than us and the rest of the creation. Psalm 102, verses 25 says, Of old you, God, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Verse 26, They will perish, but you, God, you will remain. They will wear out like a garment, but not God. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. Verse 27, But you are the same and your years have no end. Friends, every time we have to think about death of a friend, a loved one, or ourselves, it reminds us that we know a God who does not die. He, his years have no end. So when we think about that reality, it humbles us, it reminds us we are not God. Friends, it also humbles us because it reminds us of how needy we are, how dependent we are on God. Friends, the challenges of this physical life are meant to drive us to dependency on God. We tend to think we have it all figured out. We tend to think that we're so strong and when we're young, how, how healthy we are and how long our lives are going to be. But God keeps letting us go through these sicknesses of life to remind us that, no, we are fleeting and we need him. Psalm 103, look at how the psalmist describes our lives. Psalm 103, verse 14. For he, God, knows our frame. It's the same theme again we've seen. He remembers that we are dust. Verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. Now, that's not to be flattering for us, right? You look at the dead grass out front, you cut your grass, you see how quickly it can fade away. That's us. We are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. Now, verse 16, for the wind passes over it and it is gone. In this place, it knows no more. Our lives are be fleeting and it reminds us, friends, in a hundred years, no one's going to remember any one of us, most likely. We're going to be forgotten about. We tend to think our lives are so significant. We're making such an impact. But in the reality and the scope of human history, we need to ponder our mortality. And remember, our lives are not all that we think that they are. We are dependent upon God. We are needy. I love how James describes it in James chapter 4, verse 14. And yet, do you, not, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Friends, those aren't flattering descriptions of us. Dust 
grass, mist. These are images God in his kindness to us gives to us to remind us how frail we are and how dependent we are upon him. And so we ponder our certain death to help foster humility in our lives, that we are needy and we are pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of things, but yet we need God. So it gives us humility. But there's a second reason we need to ponder our inevitable death, and that's because it gives us wisdom. It gives us wisdom. Now, that may seem like a jump to you. Why does me think about I'm going to die one day? How does that foster wisdom? Look at Psalm 90, verse 12. This is a verse we need to own that I don't think we think about very often. At least I know I don't. So teach us. It's a prayer to God. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. This is Psalm of Moses. This is what Moses is praying. God, teach me to number my days. God, teach me to realize how short my life is, how frail my life is. God, teach me to remember that my life will end soon. Friends, when was the last time you or I prayed a prayer like that? Lord, remind me how short my life is. Notice the context of what Moses is saying here. Go back to Psalm 90, verse 9, and look at how all this flows together. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span, here's the curse, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Then back to verse 12, to teach us to number our days. So, because of this, God, because you're holy, because you're powerful, because my life is so fleeting, teach me this truth. Teach me your majesty. Teach me your holiness. Teach me your greatness and sovereignty. Teach me my finiteness and my limitedness so that I gain a heart of wisdom. Friends, when we realize and take time to ponder our days are fleeting and they will end, it reorients us. It refocuses us. Friends, I fixate on temporal things and I assume you do also. I struggle over things that are so insignificant in the theme of things in the scheme of eternity. We divide over insignificant little things, and so we try to amass earthly wealth, and we fixate on our dreams and desires, and we divide with friends over crazy things because we're not numbering our days. Numbering our days helps us do what Jesus told us to do in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What do we do instead? Verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Friends, if we can remember our lives are short and fleeting, it reorients us, it gives us wisdom, and helps us understand what is important. Friends, if we knew that today was the last day of our life, what would change? Will we spend it fixated on the sports we like, the hobbies like? Will we fixate it scrolling through social media, reading the news, catching up on politics? Or what would change? If we knew this was our last day, what would we do differently? We ponder our days. We remember the frailty of our life to reorient us day by day to do what God would have us do with the time that we are given. And so, friends, when we realize that our life is short, when we ponder our inevitable death, it gives us humility because we, we realize we're not God. It gives us wisdom because it reorients us. But one last thing it gives for believers, it gives a lot of hope. Thinking about our inevitable death gives to believers hope. How so, friends? It gives us hope in the eternal life that we gain when we die. It gives us hope in that eternal life we gain when we die because the reality is when our bodies die and start decaying back to dust, our spirits go on to live with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Because whenever that day comes for me, and if you are in Christ for you, when that day comes, your spirit leaves your earthly body and you are in the presence of the Lord. I love how Jesus told Mary and Martha this in John chapter 11, 
verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He doesn't rescue us from physical death, but he gives us something better. He gives us eternal life when we physically die. Friends, that is a glorious hope that when we physically die, our spirit departs from the body and is with the Lord. I love what Jesus told the thief on the cross in Luke 23, verses 42 and 43. Jesus said, to, or the, the thief said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, verse 43. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, today you will be with me in paradise. That thief was about to die, the physical death. His body was about to go back to dust. And Jesus says, today his spirit will be with him in paradise. So we have hope that whenever this inevitable day comes for us, that we will be with him forever. But we have a hope even richer than that. As glorious of a hope as that is, we have an even richer hope than that. And that's the hope that our own bodies will be resurrected as well. Because when Jesus returns, he's coming to make all things new. And that includes us and our bodies, that we get resurrection bodies that will never get sick again, never decay again, never have all the struggles we have and will never die again. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. Look at the promise that we have. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown? That means our earthly bodies now is perishable. They're going to die. But what is raised, our new resurrection is going to be imperishable. We won't be able to ever die. It is sown in dishonor, meaning we're dealing with all the sicknesses and wounds of this world, but it's going to be raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's going to be raised in power. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Friends, the hope for us in eternity is not that we get these bodies back, but we get these bodies back better. And we get these bodies back perfected. We have something much better than even what Adam and Eve had in Eden, we have something much better awaiting us. So the reality of the struggles with every sickness we go through, every reminder of our impending death is to point us to the hope, not just the hope of our spirit living on forever, but the hope of Jesus returning when we get resurrection bodies. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. I love how Paul says it here. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But go into verse 21. What happens when he comes? He will transform our lowly body, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Friends, that day is coming for believers. So all these earthly pains point us to that day that there is no more pain. So let's bring all that back together. The blessing of physical life itself becomes challenging and eventually ends for everyone. And friends, we need to think about it. As much as we don't want to, we need to ponder that because it cultivates humility it reminds us we're not God. It reminds us how needy we are on God. It cultivates wisdom as we number our days. It reorients our priorities. And it cultivates hope because Genesis 3.19 is not the end. There's a lot more of the gospel that is to come of the hope we have with God forever. Many of you know Tim Keller. He was a pastor in New York, an influential pastor and writer who passed away recently with cancer. And in writing about his journey with cancer before he passed, he said something that's just arrested my attention on this whole topic. He said this, he said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has just made him a gardener. Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. He goes on to say, all death can do is plant you, and you finally come up into the beautiful flower that you were meant to be. You're just a seed, and death just plants you, and then you finally become who you were meant to be. Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him a gardener. Friends, what creates that radical change? So we looked at him a few minutes ago, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. I want to go back to that. The wages of sin is death, but now the other part of the verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
That because of what Christ has done, death is no longer the executioner for us. It's the gardener that God in his sovereign plan uses to take us to what we were made to be. But how does that come to us? Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. We've seen it before, but as we conclude on the curses here, we need to see it one more time. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Friends, as we celebrate the life we have in Christ, as we celebrate the hope we can have in eternal life, knowing that whenever that inevitable day comes, that our spirit lives on, and knowing that we're going to all get resurrection bodies for all eternity, when we get to think about those hope, we need to remember that hope came at a high cost. That Christ took the curse that we deserve. The reason that you and I do not break under the curse of of God, of a holy God, is because Christ bore it for us. And when we went to the cross, he felt the wrath that you and I should have felt for all eternity. When he said it is finished, he had completed the payment for sins that would have taken us an eternity in hell to have paid. And so as we celebrate the hope we have, and even how, for a believer, how death can give us hope and plants us like a garden, as we think about those things, we need to remember the cost at which this is available for us, that Christ joyfully and willingly endured the cross, bearing the shame, taking the curse for us, that we might become sons and daughters of God. And so with that in view, it's fitting that as we end this morning, we end with communion. Communion is a powerful symbol for us, a powerful visual of the gospel. When we break the bread, it reminds us that Christ's body was broken for us. Christ took the Passover meal from the Old Testament and applied it to himself and said, this is my body which is broken for you. He took the juice, the wine, and he said, this is my blood that is poured out for you. Scripture tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So Christ took this and said, do this in remembrance of me. So even as we've worked through these last several weeks of the curses because of sin, it's fitting for us now to remember that Christ took the curse for us. His body was broken and his blood was shed so that you and I can be forgiven of our sins. So that death is no longer the fearful enemy for us, but rather the entryway into eternal life with him forever. So I want us as God's people to end today by thanking him for his sacrifice for us, by pondering the fact that he became the curse for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins. As such, what we're going to do is only for those who know Jesus in a personal way. It's only for those who know that God has forgiven you of all of your sins, not because of anything you have done, but because of his atoning work for you. So if you know that Christ has forgiven you, you've experienced his saving grace and you see it because his transforming grace is changing you, then you are welcome to come partake. You do not have to be a member of Gateway, but you do have to know that you belong to God, not because of anything you've done, but because of his work to save you and to rescue you. If you know Christ, you are welcome. If you're not sure, I'm gonna ask you just to remain in your seat. No one's going to come chase you down or embarrass you. We want you to just remain seated. Scripture tells us and warns us about taking this in an unworthy manner. And so we want to just ask you, if you're not sure you're a follower of Christ, to remain seated during this time. And to use this time to reflect and to pray and to even ask God and say, God, I'm not even sure you're real. Or God, I don't know I believe in you. And ask God to reveal himself to you because God loves to show himself to people. But for those who know that you belong to Christ, we invite you to come to celebrate, to remember the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, to remember that Christ became a curse for you, to remember that you have hope because of what he did, and to use this time to reflect and to pray, to worship and to thank God for his saving grace. Just a moment, I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to have our praise team come, receive the elements, and then our ushers will direct you. If you could please make two lines down the middle and then return to your seats that way so we can keep it flowing so everyone can get through. For those with dietary needs, we do have gluten-free elements here as well. But would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for your grace. 
thank you seems almost so inadequate as we realize the curse that we're under, the, the sin that we have in our life, and Lord, to realize how much we've offended you. Lord, we realize we deserve nothing but hell, nothing but your wrath for all eternity. And yet in your kindness and your mercy, you pursued us even when we were not pursuing you. You turned our hearts to yourself. God, you opened our eyes to the glories of who you are and to the gospel. You gave us faith, Lord. This is not any of our own doing. It's all of yours. And so we say thank you, Lord, for your grace that has saved us. Thank you for your grace that is transforming us. And we realize it comes with a great cost. And so I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters that as we celebrate communion this morning, that we would just reflect on the body and blood of Christ. Remember that Christ became a curse for us, and you fill our hearts with awe and wonder that we get to know you. So use this time as an expression of our thankfulness and worship to you for all you've done and for who you are. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Stand and sing with us.
Now, before I pray for us, I want us to read a scripture out loud together as our closing benediction and to be our closing prayer. We read it earlier, but Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. We want to put that one back up on the screen for you. And I want us to read this out loud together. This is our prayer to the Lord in light of what we've looked at this morning. So would you say it with me? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Lord, you've heard the prayer of your people. Would you teach us to number our days? And I pray what produce in us a harvest of wisdom, a harvest of, or just even holiness and a harvest of hope in you. So Lord, would you do that which our hearts don't want to do? Remind us of how finite and limited we are so that we see how infinite and sovereign and powerful and eternal you are. And may it shape us and mold us into who you want us to be for your glory and for our joy, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a good afternoon.